You are listening to Making Waves, fresh ideas in freshwater science. Making Waves is a bi-monthly podcast where we discuss new ideas in freshwater science and why they matter to you. Making Waves is brought to you with support from the Society for Freshwater Science, Arizona State University's School of Life Sciences, the University of Washington's School of Aquatic and Fishery Sciences, and Cornell University's Ecology and Evolutionary Biology Department. Welcome to Making Waves. I'm your host, Erin Larson, and today I'll be talking with Alex Webster, Ash Zemanik, and Sarah Jones about inclusive teaching practices. Ash received their PhD at UC Davis and is now an NSF postdoctoral fellow at Michigan State University. Alex is finishing up her PhD at UC Davis and starting a postdoc at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And together with Sarah Jones, who's a PhD student at Michigan State, they created and led a workshop at the annual meeting um, in Detroit about teaching about gender and sexual reproduction inclusively and accurately in biology. Ash, in particular, is spending a lot of time working on resources for inclusive teaching in biology as part of their postdoctoral work. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Ash, Alex, and Sarah. Um, Before we get going into the details of inclusive teaching, I was wondering if you could tell you all of our listeners a little bit about yourselves and your research interests, starting probably with Ash. Hello, um, my name is Ash. I use they them pronouns, and I consider myself to be a community ecologist because I love thinking about how species interact in direct and indirect ways. I tend to focus on plant arthropod interactions and how they shape microbial communities. Um, So for my dissertation, I looked at plant pollinator interactions and their effects on floral microbial communities. And now for my postdoc, I'm working on similar interactions, but on the leaf surface. Awesome. Thanks. How about you, Alex? Um, So I'm a broadly trained ecosystem and landscape ecologist who likes to study plant soil water interactions in streams and riparian zones. I like to use spatial and temporal heterogeneity in and across really different geoclimactic and land use settings uh, to identify the drivers of ecological function, especially those relevant to management, disturbance, and climate change. So, for example, my dissertation work has been on the biogeochemical function of semi-natural waterway networks and their riparian zones in intensive agricultural landscapes in California and the effect of their management on water quality. Very cool. And finally, Sarah. Uh, So I'm a behavioral ecologist, and I'm focusing on um, behavior right now and the physiological mediation of aggression. Specifically, uh, my dissertation is on spotted hyenas and looking at uh, their very aggressive females relative to the males. And so we're kind of using them as a system to explore what what physical mechanisms are behind enhanced female aggression. Awesome. That's so cool. Someday I'll have to have you all on just to talk only about your science, but I'm really excited to delve into teaching inclusively um, today. So first I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of why thinking about teaching inclusively is important. Just for our listeners who might maybe not have thought about it before or might be wondering why we should think about teaching inclusively. So I'd invite any of you to take the first stab at answering that. Sure. We know that fostering diversity in science is good for science, good for innovation, good for problem solving, so good for science overall. We also know it's an immoral imperative to break down barriers to institutions like most academic institutions that have been historically elitist, sexist, racist, etc., so we, there's also a pile of new studies that are showing that hiring diverse people are bringing them into your program 
is not enough, that you also have to foster an inclusive environment. And we also know from those studies that you have to hit that at all points of the career timeline to enhance retention. So we think that the classroom at the high school, undergraduate and graduate level is a great place to start doing that. Yes, and just to add on to that, I think that the goal of teachers is, or at least should be, to engage all of your students in the classroom by doing so using um, inclusive teaching practices, instructors can connect with and reach a broader set of their students. And when students feel included and not othered, they tend to be more engaged with the material. Just to echo some of the things that Alex said, people with different backgrounds approach problems in different ways. And so when a group of diverse folks is able to work together, uh, they tend to be able to solve complex problems more efficiently and therefore increase innovation in their respective fields. Just to add to those wonderful statements, I also think that it's important for us to remember that science is not just for scientists these days and, you know, the general public can use science to either understand diversity better or to justify misconceptions or stereotypes. Uh, and I think it's important to engage everyone in a scientific discussion. Um, and the first step of that is inclusivity. Yeah, I think those are all great points. And you, I like the idea, too, of it being sort of a win-win, that you both are more effective as a teacher when you teach inclusively and your students benefit from that as well. And so it doesn't have to be, yeah, it's not a zero-sum game. And what have, in your experiences, what or from what you've read or researched, what have you found to be common barriers that people talk about for teaching inclusively? So we were talking about this earlier, and Alex and I thought of, kind of two main barriers that we think exist to inclusive teaching. And I think, well, one of them is just that people are only familiar with their own experience and so just might not be aware of other people's experiences and how their teaching practices might not align with those. Once you realize that as a, as a teacher or a person, it's really easy to get really overwhelmed by all of the different people you learn that you're not reaching in a complete way. And so I think that being afraid of leaving people out once you're aware that you are is a really big barrier. And then the, the second big barrier is time restraints. Since teachers are already stretched, they're doing so many things and have so many expectations, it's it's hard for people to add in more things or change how they teach like a whole curriculum. Yeah, and to add to that, there's kind of this structural problem where it's hard for teachers to ask for a ton of feedback mm -hmm. all the time. And so they're really dependent on their own experiences and that combined with having limited time, they often fall back on how they were taught something or on the material that is provided by textbooks and curricula. And those are often outdated or are poor, do a poor job of incorporating the experiences of all students. Yeah, those are great points. Same what the, as what they said, but really for me specifically, it's been simplicity um, and time because, for instance, I talked about in the workshop how I had 15 minutes to talk about, introduce, talk about, and wrap up sexual selection, and it's extremely hard to talk about it in a nuanced way that doesn't just sort of feed into preconceptions the students have in that short amount of time. Yeah, it sounds like what I'm hearing you all say is that there's sort of the fear of failure aspect or like feel, fear of trying something new and like maybe messing up, which I know in the workshop you talked about too and sort of resonated with me as well. Like not always knowing the right thing to do and sort of being afraid to try something new or not having it easily available. And then also, yeah, time is, time is really tough. And so I was wondering, 
given that we're taking the time to talk about this, if you had some ideas for our audience about maybe just some really specific tips about how they could teach about specifically sex and biology, since that's what you all covered in your workshop in more inclusive ways. One of the things that we've been working on for the workshop is updating definitions related to teaching sex and gender in biology. And as we've been working on this, we've come up with a specific checklist that we used while we were looking at the definitions in common biology textbooks and changing them to both reflect the diversity of life better and to be more inclusive to students' experiences. So for example, we said, does it apply equally well to humans as it does to fungi? If it doesn't, it probably doesn't incorporate all of life's heterogeneity. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to make a definition cripplingly general. It means that um, if you need to favor some taxa over others for teaching purposes, you can. You just need to be specific about what taxa it applies to rather than leaving students to assume that it applies to everything because that's where a lot of inclusivity problems happen. Second, does it privilege one species system of sexual reproduction, sexual determination, or sexual-related behavior over others? Um, if you abide by this, then it opens the eyes of your students to the diversity of nature, which is a great goal for any biology teacher. And finally, is it aware of how the human, how the term is used in human society and explicitly distinguish itself or comment on its use in that context? If it doesn't, you might accidentally like use a term that has a different meaning in a human context, and using that term cavalierly without addressing that um, can be really othering or harmful to students. So for example, we gave the example of the term hermaphrodite, which has a very different um, definition in biology and a bio biologically accurate definition than it does um, among the intersex community among humans. So addressing that and asking for your students to provide feedback on how they interpret terms is a great way to get at that. So we think that another really good method to make your biology course more inclusive is to, instead of teaching first about systems that are usually focused on animals or mammals or even humans, to start by teaching with the diversity of life on Earth and display all of the different methods that species use to reproduce. And by doing this, I think that this breaks down all of the constructs where people assume that if humans do it this way or if it's in this biology textbook, then this must apply to all life on Earth, which is untrue. And um, it also, when we teach a particular example first, then all of the following examples seem like exceptions to a rule, when in fact they're just a different way that life is found to reproduce. So starting with diversity can get around some of those problems as well. Yeah, and I think starting with diversity also within taxa is also important because a lot of us work with pre-med students, for instance, and we might be talking about humans explicitly or flies explicitly. If we're doing Mendelian genetics, we might be really focusing on flies. And so just talking about even just doing a caveat where the Y chromosome, for our purposes, if you have a Y chromosome, you're male, but put it in the context of, you know, the past few decades we've realized it's really not as straightforward as that, you know, and I mean, even just including that will probably help students that don't feel included with that XY <laughs> or an XX paradigm feel a little more at ease. And that's just an easy way to do it quickly. And another example of that, I would say, going back to the definitions is a lot of people aren't aware that there is a specific sex 
definition, um, which is whether something produces small or large gametes, and it's that straightforward. Um, and when you don't provide that definition to students, it makes them tend to equate gender and sex in the classroom and not understand how hermaphroditic species work and not understand why gender is a separate concept in the classroom. So just providing something like that, which we found that definition in zero of the textbooks that we looked at, um, can be really freeing and liberating for a lot of students. Yeah, just to reiterate that to make sure everyone got that, because I think that's such a huge point and such an easy thing for people to both mess up and then also to correct for themselves. That idea that sex is gamete size and that gender is an identity and those two terms shouldn't be used interchangeably, but often are, which is kind of funny when you think about biology where we're so into like our jargon and being really specific about the terms we use. And that's a really sort of e easy fix if people if people want to take one thing to sort of focus on teaching. It's like, be clear about those two terms. And that, for example, applies to the first um, member part of the checklist that it applies equally well to humans as it does to fungi. And it also reveals cool things about nature. Like there are species that have the same size gametes. Isogamy is the term for that, which allows students to understand that not everything in biology is centered around sex. What were some of your favorite resources that you guys came across when you were looking at different advice about teaching inclusively? And I know, Ash, that you're working on your own, so also please highlight yours as well. I think, you know, the simplest way to start learning about inclusive teaching is just to, like, Google inclusive teaching practices or how to use inclusive language and things like that. When we started to think about this workshop a long time ago, we started to Google how to teach sex in an inclusive manner, how to teach biology in an inclusive manner. And although there were some resources, we really didn't find a lot. And so that was really the motivating factor behind this workshop was to kind of fill in that gap. So we're hoping to put together a lot of resources so we can enable teachers to use them and have more inclusive biology courses. Yeah, so another big project or really this workshop is part of this bigger effort that I've started with my postdoc called Project Biodiversify. And the goal of Project Biodiversify, which is a website, is to be a repository of teaching materials and teaching methods to make biology more inclusive and to try and foster diversity in biology. The part we're talking about now is, is working on providing inclusive teaching practices and some materials to help you do that. And then the project was really spearheaded by the idea that students don't often get to see a diverse set of scientists when they're taking a biology course and most students that you teach don't fit into that box of scientists that are presented. So what we're doing with that is we are trying to compile a whole huge list of examples of research that has been done by all sorts of scientists that is relevant to the intro bio curriculum and to generate these slides and teaching notes that instructors can put right into their lectures in a really easy way and to make it basically as easy as possible. So this is very much a work in progress, and I'm very excited about it. And our website is going to be projectbiodiversify.org, and it should be up and running by August. Awesome, and I'll link to that in our podcast episode description as well, so you all can find it. That's so cool. That's, that's really awesome. And so one thing, too, speaking of early August, is I know that you all will be running a workshop about or a similar workshop to what you presented at SFS at ESA 
um, in New Orleans as well. So I was wondering if you could give our listeners, so if you missed the workshop, unfortunately, at SFS in Detroit, hopefully you'll be at ESA and be able to make it. So I'm not sure if you have the info yet about the day, time, location for that, but if you could give that to us, that would be awesome, and I'll also link to it. Yes. First, to clarify for any wonderful entomologists out there who are listening, um, the ESA we're referring to is the Ecological <laughs> Society of America meeting. It takes place in early August, and we're actually going to be hosting two workshops. So the one that is going to be similar to the one that we gave at SFS, which is specifically about teaching sex and gender and biology in an inclusive and accurate way, is going to be on Thursday, August 9th, um, from 11.30 to 1.15. So it's during lunchtime, so it's a brown bag. Um, and it's in room 346 slash 347. And no prior registration is required after everyone is welcome to attend. And then secondly, so we are also hosting another workshop that is more targeted towards Project Biodiversify. So this workshop is to, it's called Contribute to Project Biodiversify, a repository of teaching materials to diversify and humanize biology courses. This is also a brown bag workshop. It's going to be on Monday, August 6th from 11.30 to 1.15. And this will be in room 342. Again, to echo Alex, no prior registration is required and everyone is welcome and we hope to see you all there. And finally, we'll also be at the Diversity Forum and the Diversity Luncheon. So if you want to find us just to talk, um, please reach out and we will definitely make time for that about this project. Yeah, our projects, by definition, will improve with the more people we get feedback from and thoughts on. So, yeah, we really look forward to any feedback or ideas that we get from you all. Awesome. And I'll link, if it's okay with you guys, to your contact info as well in show notes so people can get in touch um, in advance of ESA, the Ecological Society of America (laughs) meeting. Thanks for that correction, Ash. And so one final question for you all. So we've been working on representing in some ways, the diversity that exists in science by not just talking about science on our podcast as much, but also talking about who we are as scientists and what we like to do that's sometimes not science. And so just as our final question, we always like to ask what you like to do in your free time, activities or hobbies that aren't science related and what you like to do for fun. Well, I have an unusual hobby for grad students, (laughs) which is probably why you guys pointed at me. I do mixed martial arts in my free time. So I, uh, What's my re- most recent fight was what was it May May fifth or something like that. So uh, I'm involved in that a lot. <laughs> Go to practice a lot. Probably will have a fight again in the fall. <laughs> so that's that and dogs. Most of my free time. That's awesome. Yes. Similarly, I have a dog and I love to go adventuring with my dog to relax and unwind from the day. When I have time, I also really love to climb and go hiking and mountain biking, but I also really highly enjoy relaxing with friends around my own and doing things like listening to books on tape or knitting. I'm similarly a fan of outdoor pursuits, rock climbing, mountain biking, hiking, things like that. I do not have a dog. I have a mountain cat who is (laughs) becoming adept at the trails slowly but surely. And I also enjoy seeing music at shows and traveling and things like that. 
That's great. Alex, I'll have to get tips on how to turn your cat into a mountain cat because mine is definitely a very indoor cat <laughs> at present. <laughs> well, thank you to the three of you, Alex, Ash, and Sarah, for joining us today on Making Waves. It was a pleasure to have you. And to all of you listening, hopefully um, you've learned something. And also, if you want to get in touch with any of these three lovely folks, you're welcome to um, get in touch with them if you have questions about inclusive teaching practices as well. And you'll hopefully get to see some of them at the Ecological Society of America meeting as well. And again, I'm your host, Erin Larson, and this has been another episode of Making Waves. You've been listening to the Making Waves podcast, brought to you with support by the Society for Freshwater Science. For more info on this speaker, the Making Waves podcast, or the Society in general, please visit us on the web at the Society for Freshwater Science webpage. Tune in next time for another fresh idea in freshwater science.